Welcome and greetings, career-minded superstars. You are listening to the exclusive Career Coach, your podcast for all things career. And I'm Lisa Edwards, the indispensable career coach for superstars just like you. Now let's dig into this week's topic, shall we? Greetings, everybody. I am so thrilled to have you here. Uh, It's now September. Um, (laughs) What a crazy four or five months it's been. It's it's been a nuts time. And so um, as we come into the fall, um, I'm hopeful as as an FSU alum and a football fan that there will be a football season as of today when I'm recording this, there will be football. I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. I'm cautiously optimistic about a lot of things right now, Uh, but we're going to have some fun today with the recording. I want to remind you guys uh, before we get started with our guest today that I want to be your career coach. So reach out to me and schedule that 45-minute consult. That is an opportunity for me to have my attention totally set on you to ask you questions about where you are now in your career, where you want to get to, what you've done, if anything, to get there. And then I'm gonna prescribe for you. And if that prescription includes working with me, I will let you know what that looks like. Uh, And also there's all kinds of other things going on. We've got the free webinars on Thursdays at four o'clock Eastern. You are welcome to sign up for one of those. And the uh, link is in the show notes to do so. So my guest today is Amy Kay Hutchins. And uh, I'm going to let her start by introducing herself, and then we're going to introduce today's topic. So, Amy, first of all, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Lisa, it is a delight to be asked. Thanks for having me in your sandbox today. <laughs> and as my, as my listeners know, my sandbox is a closet. So <laughs> I, I, I want you all listening to, I want you to think about that very high-end, high-tech recording studio that maybe some of the podcasts you listen to record in and it's very high-end equipment and they've put a lot of money and time and effort into it and then I want you to just turn that off and think of Lisa and her closet with good equipment (laughs) but I'm literally um my my closet is padded with pillows and and rugs to to make the sound as good as I possibly can So Amy, I would love for you to tell the listeners about your background and a little bit about kind of, um, you know, what brought you here to the podcast today. I have a thread throughout my entire career of teaching. So I started off as an elementary school teacher. Then I taught overseas in our international school system. Then I was a teacher trainer. Then I went corporate and I did corporate sales and leadership training. Then I started my own well, it's not teaching, but I, I joke, I'm still teaching today, but I started my own training and leadership development company 19 years ago. And so now I get the joy of traveling around the world, um, pre-pandemic, traveling around the world, working with leaders all over the globe, and I'm still teaching. So I'm still loving what I do. I teach communication and leadership skills. And it's just amazing to me that many of the things that I did 30 years ago in the elementary school classroom are still applicable today, Lisa. I can relate to that so much, Amy Kay. I have a brother who's much older than me, and my undergraduate degree is in music education, and I only taught in the school system for three years, but he is convinced that mother wasted the money on the education because I'm not still teaching, but in fact, 
everything that I've done subsequent to being in the elementary school music classroom has been uh, using and, and benefiting from that education background and the ability, there's just something about being, especially when you're talking about little ones, right? Let me stand up in front of a bunch of little kids with the attention spans of gnats and keep them engaged and, uh, you know, entertained. It's, it's not an easy skill set, is it? <laughs> no, and it's so relevant to today because in our 90 mile an hour high input, tons of noise society, keeping people engaged, even at the age of 34, 54, it's just as applicable. And the 54-year-olds also want to play games when they're in training and they want to have fun and do activities, don't they? <laughs> they do. They just don't want to admit it. <laughs> so. Yeah, right. You just have to uh, get back in that sandbox, to, to use your analogy, get back and play in the sandbox with them. And then that's how they learn. We don't, we don't change in that terms of we, you know, many of us want to be hands-on learners. We don't want to just hear it. We want different modalities so that it really sinks in, right? Absolutely. Well, I saw in your materials, I love this description of yourself as an intelligence activist. So I'm curious if you can tell us what, what do you mean by that? Well, it's far more intriguing than, you know, I've been slogging it out as an entrepreneur for 20 years. I, it's, <laughs> it's really something that goes back to what we've already talked about. And that is the idea that my job at the end of the day is to ignite and to spark your potential. And I do that by raising the quality of the conversation. And so I'm constantly, I'm, I'm not a Pollyanna, but I am very much an optimist, a realistic optimist, but I wanna create space for possibility. I really think that there's huge potential, whether it's yours as an individual, your teams, whether it's potential inside a relationship, but I'm always about asking that bigger, better, better, bolder question to say, what might we create and how might we create it? I love that. And that ties nicely into today's topic, which is how to handle tough career conversations. So I may have shared with you guys before that I get, oh my gosh, probably a request a day at minimum to be on my podcast. And I'm very picky, as you guys know, I only have guests about 10% of the time. So I'm not out there, you know, beating the bushes, trying to find something that can breathe and, and talk intelligently because I'm trying to fill up spaces. Um, I am very, very selective about who I bring on. And, and I was very intrigued by Amy Kay's topic um, of how to handle tough career conversations. And that's certainly a topic that we've you know, worked around on the podcast and we've covered it from very different, several different angles. Um, today, we're going to hit a couple of specific areas that uh, Amy Kay can help us with. And the first one is kind of that job interview, right? So we've done lots of podcasts. I'm doing a lot of my webinars are on the interview process, but I'm curious about how you can talk about how you approach the job interview in terms of the the tough conversation piece of the interview and how, and how do you have that and what do you recommend? I have a sort of a provocative perspective when it comes to the job interview. I think that we spend way too much time talking about our past and not enough about the significance of the future and where we can play a significant role in helping the company move forward. And so I, I sort of look at it, Lisa, as three things. Your job in an interview is to go into connect and not pitch. It's, it's really strange because I know a lot of people are like, this is, this is your opportunity to show up and sell yourself. I'm like, nope, this is the opportunity where if you go in and you connect and what you say resonates with where they're going and your ability to help them get there, 
it's a game-changing interview. And I'll give you a couple specific examples, but I also believe that when you can align yourself in an interview with an agreed upon vision, you're gonna do that by talking about something called your learning agility. And here's the difference. If I walk in, let's, see, let's say Lisa, let's role play for a second. Let's say you're interviewing me and you're like, so, you know, Amy Kay, tell me about yourself. I tend to do this monologue, right? In the old world, it's like this monologue of I'm amazing and here's what I did and billions of dollars and I did it all by myself. And what happens is, is we don't connect. We end up pitching. But if I talk about the fact that, let's just say, Lisa, you shared with me that you've got inconsistency across the regions. So you're looking for somebody to run operations and build more consistency. Then instead of talking about my past, what I need to do is I need to link a past success or experience with that future possibility inside your company. So I might say, hey, you know, a time where I really grew consistency across the regions was when I was uh, vice president of operations and we created these playbooks that really standardize excellence. So in your initiative of making sure that consistency is improved, one of the things that I would suggest is creating a playbook. And here's how I did it. And here's how I harnessed the collective intelligence from a bunch of players. And here's how I think that would be a fun way to tackle it in your future project. But what I'm doing is I'm linking my past success and my current skill sets to your future success, to your vision. And that's what most of us don't do in an interview. That is so important. And it gets back to that all important research that you do on the company. And I tell my client, tell my, my listening audience and my clients that you should know that company as, as well as anybody that interviews you, that they can't throw you a curveball. You will at least know what they're talking about when they bring up an initiative or something that's gone on with the company. And whenever you, you have to know that. So there's, there's three things you have to know in an interview. You have to know yourself you have to know the company and then you have to know how those two things fit together. Absolutely. And I think that a lot of times when we go to an interview, we're so nervous about presenting ourselves in a great light that we get too myopic. We get too self-focused. And one of the things that I think actually reduces your pressure and reduces the burden that you have is when you start making it all about them and how you can just be a very significant piece and play a significant role but you turn it and you make it about them. And I, I don't know about you, Lisa, but every time I sit on a plane, when I have a conversation with somebody and we make it all about them, they're like, oh my gosh, Amy Kay, this was the best conversation ever. I'm like, yes, because it was all about you. <laughs> and so it's the same thing in the interview. Now, you don't want to dismiss yourself, but you just want to make sure that you're constantly coming back to making it about them. Oh, and people listening, just tie this into the conversations that I've had about how to network where you are out there looking for a job, but the first 20 minutes of the conversation is all about what's going on with them and how you can add value to them so that when you have your ask for, I'm looking to, for you to introduce me to so-and-so, they're gonna be more than willing to do it because of the value you gave them first. So I want you to see that connection there. All right, so, so we get the job and now <laughs> we have a super annoying coworker. Um, um, let's just, let's just say he's, he's constantly putting your work down with the boss, with the other coworkers, kind of trying to undermine you. He's probably super unsell. He's, he has a lack of self-confidence. So he's trying to bring other people down to his level. So we're going to call him, let's call him Steve. So tell me how I should handle Steve. 
<laughs> we we all know Steve, don't and we? we? Can't, <laughs> Amy Kay, before you start, we can't drown him. So what else can we do? Yeah, seriously. So, you know, not that I've ever had <laughs> Steve in my past 40 years, right? Um, wow, this is so relatable. So let's look at this as, I would look at this as escalating boundaries, Lisa. And what I mean by that is we're going to start by shifting our annoyance to curiosity. So if in the first transgression or the first bad play by Steve, we need to sort of check ourselves and say, okay, before I overreact, before I actually engage in, in my own bad behavior or step in it, let me just start with setting a boundary with Steve. And so I'm a huge curator of magical phrases. I really believe in this. After having done sales training for years, I'm not a fan of scripting, but I am a fan of that brilliant one-liner. And so I, in, in Steve's first transgression, I would go to him and I would say this magical phrase, I have this story in my head. And so I would say, hey, Steve, I have this story in my head that you were purposefully undermining me in yesterday's meeting. Is there any truth to my story? And by asking that question, there's two things. I have a story in my head means I might be making it up. I'm willing to admit that it's just, you know, a story, a version. I'm open to you challenging that story and maybe rewriting that story. But I'm also letting him know that this is going to stop here. So Lisa, one of the things that I love about this is that I'm putting the thinking, I'm putting the accountability of behavior back on Steve. It's not my burden to stop this behavior. It's Steve's burden, but it is my responsibility to draw a line in the sand. So just going to Steve with that first kind of curiosity, hey, Steve, I got a story in my head. You know, yesterday, it seemed like you were purposely trying to undermine me in the meeting. Is there any truth to my story? Serves it right back. I love that. I, okay, so let's have a couple of scenarios here. So let's, scenario number one is Steve looks sheepish and probably kicks his toe in the carpet and looks down and um, yeah, you're right. I was having a bad day, mea culpa. Like how would you, what would you do at that point? I'd say, well, I, you know, I appreciate, I appreciate your honesty. I'm so sorry that you had a bad day. Um, let's make sure that doesn't happen again. And, and it's being really candid. Let's make sure. And I, and I say, let's, as in we're in this together, everybody can have a bad day. So it's not, you better not have that happen again, because that makes people very defensive. So it's just a very gracious, you know, let's make sure that doesn't happen again. But Lisa, let's get reals for a second. <laughs> Steve's a jerk. And that, and that jerk starts with an A. And so, you still can't drown him. So Right. And we, and we still can't drown him. So if Steve escalates, and again, we're talking about escalating boundaries, then you can do one of two things. You can either say, you know, Steve, it seems like you were undermining me yesterday. What was the thought behind that comment? Or what was the thought behind that action? Notice... I'm pinpointing him a little bit more, but I'm still forcing him to think about his behavior. And then if he does it again, or if he's not responding in terms of an apology, then I will look at somebody, and I think this is a brilliant, magical phrase. I will say, Steve, how are you hoping I respond right now? Mm. And again, it's putting it back on him to say, where did you think this was going to go? What kind of outcome were you hoping to create? And so if I said to you, like, if Steve said something really egregious or inappropriate or undermining, and I can't drown him, then I'm going to look at him and I'm going to say, Steve, yesterday when you said that, it undermined me. How were you hoping that I was going to respond to that? And I'm forcing him to be accountable. Mm -hmm. And then I think this is really important. And this is why 
why I probably do what I do is that we were all given a voice box, Lisa, but it didn't come with instructions. <laughs> and I'm serious about that. It didn't. And so the best of intentions can lead us down the wrong bunny hole. All of us can have incredible confidence in some situations, but we can lose the ability to honor the worth of our own voice and others. And so to all the listeners out there, if you take one thing away from this podcast, I want you to realize that setting a boundary is your right and it doesn't make you a bad person to stand up for yourself. It doesn't make you an unkind person to stand up for yourself. Standing up for yourself is the right to say, I have an identity that is worth me speaking up. And so I would look at Steve and I would say, that was really unacceptable and it can't happen again. And I want to be very clear to the listeners who've heard me talk probably ad nauseum about your thoughts and, and how they relate to the workplace. This is not... Steve said something, I didn't like the way he said it, which is my problem, and I need to own that. This is Steve doing something that could potentially undermine or, or devalue my work or, or my, my potential with the company. He has crossed, a, a boundary is, you know, you've put up a fence in your yard and you've said, this is, this is my yard and you're not allowed to step in and, and without invitation, Steve has opened the gate and come into your yard. This is not... I have my fence around my yard, but as I look over at Steve's yard, I don't like the way he's mowing his grass. Right. And I think that that's a very good distinction, that this is somebody that has created either an obstacle or a barrier for you. Now, we can all get triggered. There, there's always like low-level triggers that people say, but then that's about us. And that's about our identity. So if we, if we do the, the lesser example, of, let's just say Steve comes by and he's like, hey, you were late to the meeting yesterday. That was a little irresponsible. We, we see ourselves as the responsible person. So we get triggered. We're like, I had, it was, you know, I had, and we get defensive. We get into all the excuses of why we relate to the meeting. What we need to do is be self-aware enough, Lisa, that when somebody gives us critical feedback or even constructive feedback to realize that we can still be responsible and be irresponsible on occasion, we can still be smart and do something stupid. So if Steve isn't a jerk, Steve, Steve's the boss that comes by and says, Hey, you were late to the meeting yesterday and that was irresponsible. That's when you said that, or excuse me, that's when you say an apology and the apology doesn't mean you have to fall all over yourself, but you can say, I hear you, my bad. I apologize. It won't happen again. Now you're back on track to being that responsible person instead of getting into a tit for tat defensiveness. And I think another key here is that if, if Steve has owned up and Steve has said he's going to do better, he's not going to let that happen again is, it's on to, on you to wipe that slate clean and not not escalate the next time it happens i i just I, it seems to me like you don't want to go back in and necessarily treat steve the same way like you you maybe want to kind of okay let's have like keep it low key like let's review this again but not just keep ratcheting it up. Does that make sense what I'm saying? I don't know if I'm being very clear. No, you're actually being really clear because what it means is that you have to have the maturity to let it go. So right. let's just say, let's go back to your first example. Let's say Steve was having a bad day and he says, I, it, was a, it was a bad day. Then you can look at Steve and you can empathize and you could say, Steve, we've all been there. We've all had bad days. I get it. Thank you for explaining or thank you for sharing. Now I know it won't happen again. So what have I done? I've empathized. I've connected and I've still set a boundary. So I, I've looked at Steve and I've said, oh, Steve, I totally get it. We've all, all been there. I appreciate you sharing or thank you. You can always say thank you, which are golden words. Thank you for sharing. Now I know that it won't happen again. And that's, 
that's allowing Steve to be human and that's allowing me to let him know that my boundary is not moving. All right. So, so this, this, I'm going to throw you a curveball. So okay. we're going to call Steve, Steve at now, uh, right. because Steve is your female uh, employee, direct report. And uh, this wouldn't be personal at all, Amy Kay. Um, and, and you find out that Steve at has been about the company and out in the community saying, undermining things about you as the boss and not representing you well out in the community and you know this and you've heard it from several sources and so you call steve at into your office to talk about this and steve at patently denies any of this even though you've heard it from multiple reliable sources that some pretty nasty things are being said tell me how to handle steve at how should i handle steve at <laughs> i would say that you always have more than one example. So if you've, if you've got several, that's great. You don't have to go through all, you don't have to do a whole you know, rap sheet of transgressions, but you can sit Steve at down and you can say, I was really surprised yesterday when I found out that you had been saying X, Y, Z to Susan and then X, Y, Z to Jeff. And I realized that I don't have the complete story. So tell me what's going on. What am I missing? What, what are you going through right now? What, what caused this to happen? And if, and if they're like, that never happened and I never said that. And I say, okay, well, I was told or it, it came to my attention that I found out this information. So do we need to get everybody together? Or do you want to talk to me about what's possibly causing this? Now, sometimes people will double down on a lie. And then sometimes people will realize if they're about to get caught in it, that it's time to either change the story or fess up to what's going on. But I usually come from a place of curiosity before, hey, I heard from so-and-so and you have no right to say these things. Like, no, that's not gonna get you anywhere. But I will come from a place of curiosity. I must be missing something. What's going on? Tell me, tell me more about what caused this. What was the thought behind saying that? And, what, and when people realize that you're not in a absolute accusatory, there's no wiggle room for them, they'll actually start to express what is going on. Now, some people double down, Lisa, and then you have to say, well, now this is really concerning because I've got two stories that don't jive. So I have the story in my head from so-and-so, I have a story from you, there might be truth to both, but we're not gonna uncover that truth until we all get together. And then that's when usually people freak. I love that. And I also just this common theme of curiosity. And I think so important to that curiosity is to deal with this as quickly as it comes to your attention or as quickly as it happens, because it, I think it becomes increasingly difficult to be curious <laughs> about why someone did what they did. If you, you know, keep having that story in your head. And of course it escalates and becomes this, you know, nightmarish sort of situation. Very hard to be curious about that, I think. It is, and I think that what our, what our human reaction is, is to get defensive and protective, that's in our biology. But to remember that there isn't just the story, there's the why behind the story. So you have to look at it in, in two ways that I think is just always fascinating to me. When somebody comes, let's just say somebody comes to you, Lisa, and I say to you, oh my gosh, Lisa, you are never gonna believe what Jenny said about you yesterday. Jenny like threw you under the bus. Okay, there's the story, that Jenny threw you under the bus, but there's the story that you need to ask, why is Amy Kay telling me this? Mm -hmm. So did Amy Kay defend me yesterday in front of Jenny? Did Amy Kay say, Jenny, that's 
that's just like, let's not go down that. That's just gossip. That's bizarre. We shouldn't be, we shouldn't be talking about that. So did I stop it or did I feed that gossip? And now I'm increasing drama with you. So you always have to ask why the person is telling you this story in the first place. So for instance, it could be a very innocent, Hey, I told Jenny that it wasn't cool. And I'm coming to you because I want to give you an opportunity to get the heads up to wrap your arms around this before it starts to escalate. That's a very different than mm -hmm. I'm just interested in gossip and drama. I'm pouring a glass of wine. I'm getting ready to pop my popcorn to see how you all fight it out. Right. <laughs> and that's very different. I love that. And it, it reminds me of a situation where I had someone in, in a group that I belong to. She came to me and said something that another member had said about me that was very unkind and, and, and very, it was, they were very wrong about me and my, my intentions in the group. And I've, I have chosen since then not to ask her who that was because I just don't want to know. But it also has always made me wonder why she said that. And did she maybe, was that her way of telling me that she thought the same thing about me? Um, so it's, it's, it's always kind of been curious to me how that, how that one came about. So I love, I love that idea. All right. So let's switch gears. Now you're going to ask for a raise. So tell me about the conversation that you need to have in this situation. This has come up a lot. And the time that this podcast airs, we will have been in the pandemic for months. And so one of the questions that I get, even in the pandemic is, is it okay to ask for a raise? It's always okay. <laughs> to ask for a raise. It's always okay. What's more important is how you do it, how you ask. And so many people, including in my own corporate career, direct reports would come to me and they'd be like, Amy Kay, I've been working really hard. I deserve a raise. And I was like, wow. All right. Let's step back for a second. The most beautiful thing that you can do that will actually help you get the raise is to remember the law of reciprocity. It has to be about both of you. It can't just be about you. So Lisa, you're my boss. I'm ready for a raise. If I stomp into your office and like, Lisa, I've been working so hard. I've been, I've been doing double duty and I deserve a raise. You are much more likely to shut down, get defensive and create less space for possibility and what that can look like than if I say, Lisa, I'd really like to meet with you next week. And I'd really like to talk about how I can become a more integrated, successful team player. And so I send you an email invite, or I tell you verbally, and then I send you an email invite, how might I become a more integrated, successful team player? And then we talk about my strengths. We talk about what's working, what, what I've done in the past and what I'm doing now that's really strong. We make sure that we're aligned on my 30, 60, 90 day objectives, right? We talk about the benefit when I meet and exceed my objectives. I share some of my concerns. And then I say, so here's what I'm thinking I could do to add more value that I could do better or in addition to what I'm currently doing in my areas of responsibility. Lisa, what do you think I could take on in terms of more responsibility? And only then do I say, I would like to make this aligned with a promotion and or a raise. And based on the things that I've done and the things that now we're aligned about me doing going forward, I think that a, in fill in the blank, it's a $5,000, $10,000, $2,000, whatever it is that you deem appropriate, that raise would be attached to it. Now, that doesn't guarantee that you're going to say yes, Lisa, but you are much more likely to get excited about encouraging and supporting me when I'm aligned with your initiatives than if I just come in and say, Lisa, you owe me money. 
Yeah, and I think so many people, when they go and ask for a raise, they are doing what you did in the first scenario, which is talk about activity as opposed to results, or they make it about, you know, something external that the boss, frankly, it's, it's not their concern. Like I have, you know, it, I'm, I can't, I'm having trouble making my payments to my, my mortgage, or um, I need a new car, or, you know, the baby's got medical bills. <laughs> like that's not, that's not going to help me make a decision to give you a raise. It, it might have quite the opposite effect. I think that one of the things that we tend to forget is that when we show up with a problem and we're asking somebody else to solve it, they become more resistant instead of connected. So if I show up in, in a real world, if I show up and I say, hey, you know, in this pandemic, my husband lost his job and we're down money. I need more money. All I've done is I've said, Lisa, my problem is now in your lap. You, you are only given the choice of saying yes or no, therefore you're either an evil boss or you're you know, the best boss, but it all depends on whether you say yes or no. It's kind of like in a parenting analogy. You know, my, my kids only listen when I say yes to their requests, right? <laughs> you know, it's like, I think that one of the things that you have to do is you have to set that relationship up for success by saying, hey, here's where we're going. Here's how I want to step up and take on more responsibility. Here's what I can do to add greater value. The reason that I'm sharing this with you is because we are stressed at home. My husband did lose his job, but I also know that I need to step up in order to make it an acceptable way to go forward for both of us. Now, your boss is far more likely to have sympathy and understanding when you come with ways to play better and solutions than if you just come with a demand. That is so true. And it's something that I've talked to my listeners about before is, you know, when you need to have that conversation with the boss about a promotion or a raise or an issue, let's say you're having an issue with a project that he's given you, you don't want to just go in and dump the problem in his lap like you're playing tennis and now the ball is in your court. Good luck catching it and, and hitting it. But it's rather here's the problem. And I'm thinking a couple of possible solutions. I wanted to throw them out at you, see what you think. Boss may take some other solution, may come up with a solution on his own, but regardless, he will appreciate the fact that you worked through that problem and came up with some possible solutions for him. That's what he wants. That's why he hired you. He hired you for your incredible intelligence and problem solving skills. And so when you go to your boss and you're sort of the, hey, I have no ideas, she's just flustered because she's like, I hired your brain. And now, and now you can't even solve these problems. And now you want me to pay you more to not solve these problems. And so what we need to remember <laughs> is that we always, we always get more of what we want when we can help somebody get what they want. I love that. I love that. So let's, let's kind of bottom line it for everybody. So give us like three or four tips for having those tough career related conversations. Well, since I've only had about 500 tough career conversations, <laughs> I think that there are three things that we can all remember and really benefit from. And the first is never wing it. I always want you to prep and plan for a tough conversation. When you've got a big juicy question, a how might we, that aligns the fact that we're going to problem solve together. So I typically walk into a tough conversation with how might we. How might we make me a more integrated, successful team player? How might we increase our sales by 12%? How might we get back to a respectful relationship? 
you know, go back to Steve, you know, how might we stop the undermining or, you know, how might we get more connected? It could even be a, how might I understand better what's going on with that Steve at? So I love starting and prep with prepping and planning and then really thinking through how you want that conversation to flow and what it is that you want as an outcome. The second thing that I'm going to encourage you to do, whether you have a theater background or not, is that I want you to rehearse. I want you to role play. I want you to play devil's advocate. And Lisa, you did it beautifully. What if Steve does this? What if Steve does that? I want you to walk through that in your own mind so that you aren't completely blindsided. And real world, if Steve or Steveette were to come back with something that does blindside you, then your magical phrase is going to be, oh, I wasn't expecting to hear you say that. I may need some time to process that. And so you say, okay, I wasn't expecting you to say that. I need some time to process. Can you say more? And that, again, it turns the talking baton over to them while you think about how you want to respond. And then third, and the most, the most serious is, I want you to commit. And what I mean by commit is, I don't want you to let somebody else take your power away. The life that you desire, the career that you desire is on the other side of a tough conversation. So if you are avoiding that tough conversation, you are avoiding the career results that you want. If you are just trying to wing your way through it, you're not gonna get the career results that you want. So stay committed. And staying committed doesn't mean you can't take a time out and hit reset. It just means that you're going to commit to seeing it through so that you get the career that you deserve and want. I love that so much. I love, I, this has been, amazing um i've learned a lot in this conversation amy honestly when i usually when i have guests on it's 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 information that i know it's not necessarily new information for me but this has given me some really great i like i want to go have a tough i don't i work alone so i'm gonna have to have a tough my dog i might have to have a tough conversation with my dog today um just so i can practice all these skills <laughs> i'll try to i'll try to pick a pick a fight with my friends that i'm going out with tonight so i can uh, practice a tough conversation i'm just kidding all right so tell the listeners how they can get a hold of you there's three easy ways to stay connected with me you are certainly welcome to go to our website super easy amyk four letters amyk.com and we have tons of free tools so if you want our most downloaded, our most popular tools, um, preparing that prep planner, um, people love that. You're welcome to do that. You can certainly follow me on Instagram at Amy K. Hutchins, and you are certainly welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, just, you know, type in Amy K. Hutchins and I will pop up and we can link. Love it. Love it. So I'm going to put all of that in the show notes. If you guys want to get a hold of her, that uh, prep planner sounds really fun. I want to go to the website and, and see, see what your tools are there. Um, I thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I am, yeah, this has been a, an honor and also just a lot of fun. Oh, thank you. It's been fun for me too. Thanks, Lisa. Right. I'm going to, I'm going to, um, next time I have a Steve at situation, I know exactly how to handle it. So thank you very much. I'm an email away. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. All right, you guys, you know how to reach out to me too. Find me on Instagram at lisa.edwards. That's L-E-S-A. I'm on LinkedIn, of course. That's where my, my primary playground. You can also find my uh, Facebook business page at Exclusive Career Coaching, and I will see you next week. Take care. You've been listening to the Exclusive Career Coach with Lisa Edwards, CEO of Exclusive Career Coaching. It would be great if you would rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. 
Also, I want to be your career coach, so be sure to ask questions about your career management challenges and job search situation. Until next time.